I hope every single one of you had a great Thanksgiving. I mean, let's face it, we have so much to be thankful for, do we not? So I hope that it was good around your table and in your homes. I also would like to give a shout out to our live stream worshiping community today. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. I invite you to make a comment on your Facebook page to let us know that you're with us. I also invite you to share it on your own Facebook page and invite your friends to join us for worship too. Glad you're here today. Well, this past week we've read some of the final chapters of the book of Joshua in our Bible reading plan. And as you know, this book is about the Israelites taking possession of the promised land. It is the land that was promised to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And throughout the book, we've seen how God has intervened mightily on their behalf to take possession of the land. Like the miraculous parting of the Jordan River, the falling of the walls of Jericho, or the sun standing still in the sky. We've also seen how the Israelites, under Joshua's leadership, were called to be faithful and obedient to God so that God would be on their side. Like faithfully following his directions leading up to the battle of Jericho. And the strict instructions that God gave them about what items to take and not to take as certain spoils of war. In the final chapters of Joshua, we see the importance of being truthfully informed the value of having true, authentic friendships, and the need to be held accountable. Today, we're going to talk about friendships and accountability. And we know that from the very beginning of Scripture, that we were created for deep, personal relationships. In the beginning of Genesis, it says that we were created in the image of God. And God Himself is in relationship in the Godhead, the triune, simultaneously three-part yet unified nature of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They live in eternal relationship with one another. And so when God said, let us make humankind in our image, part of what he was saying is that he would create human beings who would need relationships, who would need friendships. Almost immediately we read that it is not going to be good for the man to be alone. And so God creates for him a helpmate, a woman, to be a partner in all things. We are created for relationships. We are created for friendships, both with God and with other people. There is something missing in our lives. Some would call it a God-shaped hole until we find God and put Him at the center of our life. And we know that humans wither and die without human touch, without friendships and relationships with other human beings. In our 21st century fast-paced world with social media and ever-present reality in our lives, it seems sometimes as if the more we spend on Facebook and chat, Snapchat and Instagram, the less we spend time on face-to-face -face relationships. So many people in our world today feel lonelier than they ever have before, even though we have so many more ways than ever before to connect with other people. What God wants for us 
is to have such deep friendships that the friendships we have are really more like family relationships. In the 22nd chapter of Joshua, we see a community that loves each other enough that they are willing to dig in to ensure the betterment of everyone in the community. Now, of course, the Israelites were family. Each tribe descended from one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Each tribe had been allotted a certain area of the promised land upon which to settle their families. But for about seven years, they had been fighting all the battles together in order to take possession of the promised land. And finally, the Lord has given Israel possession of the land. And he gave them rest on every side. Not one of their enemies had withstood them. And God fulfilled all his promises to them. Now it's time to go home. The battles are over. We pick up in Joshua 22, beginning in verse 1. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God has given them rest as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their homes. For seven years, all the tribes had been fighting together. They were strong together. They had been victorious together. Two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, had been assigned territory on the east side of the Jordan River. Yet they had fought with the other nine tribes and the other half of Manasseh to secure their land on the west side of the Jordan. They were two and a half tribes who were willing to give everything they had for their brothers. Now, perhaps it was because they were family. Perhaps it was because they had strong relationships together. But the men of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had been away from their wives and their families during these years of battle. And now they could go home. Joshua commends them for a job well done, and he tells them to remember to be faithful to God so that all will go well with them. Now think back to the beginning of the book of Joshua, a story that we read near the beginning of our study together. Remember what a big deal it had been when the nation of Israel crossed over the Jordan River the first time. They had crossed from east to west, 
They had crossed at a time of year when the Jordan was at flood stage and very difficult to get across. Remember the priests who had carried the Ark of the Covenant as they stepped down into the middle of the Jordan River. The waters parted by God's might and they stood in a heap to the north and to the south so that the whole nation of Israel crossed over that riverbed on dry ground. This was a momentous occasion, a miraculous occasion in the life and in the minds of the nation of Israel. And so you can imagine it might have caused some moments of reflection as the men of Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh prepared to cross back over the Jordan to the east, to the land that had been allotted to them. Today, the Jordan River creates a boundary between the country of Jordan to the east and the West Bank on the west. Lots of times rivers create boundaries, right? Our own Ohio River creates a boundary between the states of Ohio and Kentucky and other states up and down the Ohio River. But during the time of Joshua, the Jordan was not a national boundary between the tribes of Israel. But the terrain that you find there does create an imposing natural boundary. You see, there are mountains on each side of the river rising to a couple of thousand feet. And the valley which runs between the mountains is essentially 5 to 13 miles wide in places. And it's just like a trench. And at times during the year, the heat down in that valley, in that trench, is so intense, nobody wants to go down there. Nobody wants to cross that river from one side to the other. Keep some of that in mind as we continue through chapter 22. The two and a half tribes start out for their homes on the east side of the river. They have been enriched by the spoils of war. And so they take back with them herds of livestock, Silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and large quantities of clothing, we're told. They are instructed to share it with their brothers who have been home protecting the women and the children and taking care of the land while other of the men fought in the battles. Verse 10. When they came to Geliloth, near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. And when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Geliloth, near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Now at first, the text doesn't say why the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh decided to build an altar at Geliloth just before they crossed back over the Jordan River. But remember, it was a relatively common practice to erect some sort of standing monument to commemorate a significant event that took place in Israel's history. Why, think back to the 12 stones that were carried out of the riverbed of the Jordan River and erected in a pile by the side of the river when the nation had crossed over the first time. That pile of stones stood there to remind the generations to come what had happened there so that if a child said, what is that big pile of rocks doing there? A parent or grandparent could say what God had done mightily for the children of Israel there. The problem 
with the altar was that God was very clear that there was only one altar and one place to worship Him. And in Deuteronomy chapter 12, God laid out these laws for worship. Everyone from the nation of Israel would go to one place during the festival times of year to worship the Lord. And it was to this one place that they would bring their burnt offerings, their sacrifices, their tithes, and their special gifts. And during the time of Joshua, this place was established at Shiloh, not at Gelilot. Well, as is quite common with groups of people, word traveled pretty fast that the two and a half tribes had built an altar at Gelilot. The word reached the ears of the other tribes, and they thought that they had built this altar as an affront to the one true place to worship God at Shiloh. Or perhaps they thought that these other two and a half tribes were already giving up worshiping the one true God and had built an altar to an idol. The Western tribes jumped to conclusions about what had happened before they knew what really did happen. They were ready to go to war against their brothers in the Eastern tribes. Now, I'm sure none of us have ever jumped to conclusions, right? You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but that, I don't think that really happens to us today. No, of course, you know, I'm kidding. All I have to do is look at myself, and I can think of so many times when I've heard something or I've observed something, and I think I know exactly what happened or exactly what the other person's motive was. And then more times than not, I discover that I only had part of the story or a few of the facts, and without all of the facts, I am wrong about what I think happened. Fortunately, in this story, some cooler heads prevailed. A man named Phinehas, who was the son of the priest Eleazar, and a delegation of ten of the chief men from each of the other tribes went down to inquire of Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh just what was going on. They were following a principle which God had given them found in Deuteronomy chapter 13. There we read that if you hear that wicked men have arisen and led the people astray to worship other gods, then you have to inquire. You have to probe. You have to investigate it thoroughly to see if it is true. And if it is, then the whole town is to be destroyed. But if it isn't, then you have spared the lives of many people based on something that wasn't even true in the first place. And so Phinehas does just that. He inquires. He probes. He investigates thoroughly. He seeks to find out the facts first. Phinehas went to speak to the people of Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh. He didn't mince words. He didn't sugarcoat what it was he wanted to know from them. He just simply and plainly told them what the western tribes had heard, and he asked them, if it was true. Phinehas asked some questions of the eastern tribes. He asked, how could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from God and build an altar in rebellion against him? Are you turning away from the Lord? 
And then he reminds them that if they do rebel against God, it won't be just them who are punished. They are a nation. They are a community. They are a family. And they will either rise together or they will fall together. He reminds them of the sin of Achan, who had stolen some of the devoted things after the battle of Jericho. That it hadn't been just Achan who had paid for his sin, but the whole nation lost their next battle against the city of Ai. And when they found out that it was Achan who had been disobedient, it was Achan's whole family and everything that they owned that was destroyed. Sin is serious. And being part of the community of God is serious. Well, many years after Deuteronomy 13 was written, and many years after the story of Phinehas and the Eastern tribes was recorded, Jesus gave us the same principle for handling sin, disputes, and difficulties that arise between believers. Matthew 18. Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins... Go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector." Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Jesus teaches that when another person sins against you, and they are a believer, that you go and you talk with them in person with the goal of reconciling and restoring the relationship. It is to gather and verify facts. It is to have a conversation. It is to reconcile a relationship that is temporarily broken. Jesus makes it very clear that we are go to go to the person directly we are to talk to them. We are not to talk about them to other people. Too often, it's been my experience, both by what I've done at times and sometimes what other people have done to me, that we don't do this very well. Maybe it's because we're afraid to handle conflict head on. But whatever the reason might be, I do believe that if we did follow Jesus' teaching... It would change a lot of the ways we deal with other people for the better. And sometimes a discussion doesn't always go right the first time. I've had that experience a time or two in my life as well. Jesus even gives us instructions of what to do then. He says, take one or two others who will talk with you. Again, seeking to re reconcile the relationship. And if that fails... You tell it to the community, to the church. And if that fails, you treat the person like a tax collector. But even that allows for opportunities to be reconciled. Because let us not forget 
that Jesus ate with tax collectors. Jesus fellowshiped with tax collectors. Jesus even invited one tax collector, Levi or Matthew, to be one of his 12 disciples. Back to Joshua. Phinehas didn't just come with questions, and he didn't just come with complaints being raised against the eastern tribe. He also came with solutions. And I think that is so important. In verse 19, he says, If the land you possess is defiled, come over to the Lord's land, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and share the land with us. Don't miss what an amazing offer that is. What a sacrificial offering Phinehas is making. He's saying, hey, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, if, if the land that's been allotted to you on the east side of the Jordan isn't going to work for you, then come over to our side. We'll share with you. We'll give you some of our lands. Our farms will be your farms. Move into our towns. Move into our neighborhoods. Take up residence with us while we're even willing to share our homes with you while you build your own homes. And then Phinehas and the ten other leaders listened carefully to their brothers from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. They told Phinehas that they didn't build an altar at Galiloth to rebel against God. They didn't build it to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings. They built it out of fear. You see, they were afraid that one day the time would come when the descendants of the western tribes would cut off the eastern tribes. They feared that the river would become a barrier and that they would, be able, they would be cut off from being able to cross over again to the west and to worship God at Shiloh. And so the opposite of what the western tribes thought was actually true. The eastern tribes loved God so much that they built the altar as a reminder so that whenever anyone would see it, that the people who lived on the other side of the river were also a part of the same community, the same tribes, the same family of God. And they had as much right to worship the God of Israel in the place that God had set aside and that they never wanted to be cut off by an imaginary barrier. The truth from Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh pleased Phinehas and the rest of the delegation. The words they spoke sounded right to their ears. They believed that their intentions were good, and they realized that they had been wrong to jump to conclusions about the two and a half tribes. They believed their brothers, and they went back to tell the rest of the members of the western tribes. We need friends like this. We need friends who can come to us and speak the truth in love. And we need to be friends who will go and speak the truth in love. In this story, both sides came in good faith. Both sides listened carefully. Do you have a friend like that? 
Do you have someone in your life who comes and speaks honestly to you when they sense that you may be wandering down a dangerous path? We need a friend who will speak truth to us, who will point out danger to us, a friend who makes it his or her business to get into our business, someone who will ask you when the last time was you had a date night with your spouse so that you're protecting that most important marriage relationship. You need someone who will let you know when they see you burning the candle at both ends and they're afraid you might burn out. We need someone who will ask us, how's your spiritual life? How is it with your soul? How are you growing closer to Jesus these days? And we need to cultivate those kinds of relationships now because if we wait until crisis comes, we've waited too long. At Anderson Hills, we want to help you we want to help each and every person get connected in a group like that, a group that becomes more than a group, a group that becomes family. And that's why we invite everyone to get into a small group of like-minded believers. That's why we offer so many different kinds of groups, because different people connect with different kinds of groups. That's why we offer groups for young people and older people, for families and single people, for men and for women and for couples. That's why we intentionally start new groups throughout the year so that new people have new places to connect. And that's why we started several new groups just for this study of the book of Joshua. What steps do you need to take to get into a group if you're not already in one? And if you are already in one, what steps do you need to take to find one or two especially close Christian sisters or brothers who can absolutely speak truth to you, who can ask you anything, and from whom you actually welcome it because you know it will keep you safe from the enemy and it will draw you closer to God. Let's pray about it. Holy God, we give you thanks for this story from the book of Joshua, the story of the eastern tribes and your servant, Phinehas, who worked with such wisdom, who worked with the wisdom of Christ that Christ shared with us in the book of Matthew. Lord, we know you created us to live in relationship with you and with each other. We ask your forgiveness when, you, when we have gotten it wrong. And we ask you to teach us ever more clearly to go and speak to our brothers and sisters in love and to receive it from them, perhaps even more importantly, when they speak truth into our life. Help us to encourage each other to um, work with each other to keep us safe from the enemy and to draw us closer to you and more strengthened as the unified body of your church. Raise up for us, Lord, where we stand in need, a group of like-minded believers that we can connect with or perhaps that one man or that one woman that you would raise up for us in our lives and us for them to be able to speak truth, to keep on the straight and narrow path, to glorify you, and to bring honor to your name. This we ask in the name of Jesus, the name above all other names, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.